Hi, and welcome to the Max Health Podcast. This is episode number 11, and today we're going to be talking about price, guiding management of soft tissue injury, or hindering recovery. I'm Larry O'Mahony, Chartered Physiotherapist, and I'm here with Rhiannon Webby, Hi. Chartered Physiotherapist, to talk to you about pressure, rest, ice, compression, and elevation. First of all, the rehabilitation of soft tissue injuries can be quite complex, and there are quite a few acronyms out there guiding management of soft tissue injuries. And it is, I think, really relevant as clinicians and even as a general public to investigate where does the evidence base come from for these acronyms and if, uh, if we're using something that actually works. So I think ice was ice came about first of all. So that was ice compression elevation, um, and then it morphed into rice, which is adding in the rest element. It then turned into price, adding in the protect. Um, and I think for these, while they are widely used, there is actually quite a limited evidence base for some of the different aspects for it. Also, price tends to focus on the acute stage of rehabilitation and it actually ignores the subacute or chronic stages of healing, mm -hmm. which obviously are going to be just as relevant to an athlete or to a normal person uh, because it's about managing it through to, through to recovery. Mm -hmm. So the British Journal of Sports and Exercise Medicine have come out with another acronym, mm -hmm. <laughs> as if we didn't need another one, but this is actually a really nice one, which I thought we would uh, talk through a little bit about. Mm -hmm. And they advocate using peace to uh, mind your injury in the first couple of days and after that treat yourself to a little bit of love. Mm. <laughs> so starting off with peace because it's going to tie in with our price. So peace uh, stands for, um, to, P is for protect and I think that this also ties in with our price and is really mm. relevant because in the initial stage of an injury it is really useful to look at reducing um, your risk of doing further damage, mm. reducing yeah. risk of further bleeding. Protect is, um, you know, it's not about resting it as such, it's more about activity modification um, and what you can kind of do just to, um, like you said, mind that injury for the first sort of one to three days or so um, to, to give everything a chance to settle down a bit and to start to remodel appropriately rather than overloading those tissues when they're in a bit more of a, a sensitive state. And so pr protection can um, mean things like uh, say if you have given yourself a, a really good ankle strain um, it might be that you use a crutch for a, a day or two so that you're able to, to walk more comfortably and more freely rather than walking with a limp where you're developing more of these kind of compensatory strategies and things um, or it, you know it might be that you are using a, a brace or um, some kind of support for your ankle so that's kind of the idea of, of the protect I guess. Yeah, unloading movement um, mm. or unloading the tissue and restricting movement. However, to always be aware that this is for one to three days mm. and after that then we're, we're moving towards a more of an active phase 
because having prolonged periods of rest mm. is going to have adverse effects yeah. on the long-term outcome. Yeah. So rest, um, so when it comes to ankle immobilization, so if you've had an ankle strain, um, people who rest or immobilize the ankle um, for a few days following the injury had more missed days from work, more visits to a clinic for follow-up, um, and a slower return to sport when compared with those that had um, an early return to, to movement or early exercise as treatment. Yeah. So that is a yes for our P in our price and a no to our OR for our rest. <laughs> um, moving on to going back to our piece for a second. So um, E is the next letter and that is looking at elevation, which then ties in nicely with our the price guidelines, which also mm. features elevation. Mm. And as a type of therapy goes, really, uh, there isn't a huge evidence base to to show mm. that it um, can be useful in promoting um, healing. However, you know, it's one of those therapies that actually there's very little risk associated with it. Mm. If you do elevate the um, body part above the heart, it's going to reduce interstitial um, fluids. Mm. Um, mm. And so that's always going to be useful with swelling. Yeah. And so with elevation, a lot of research would suggest that um, it... it can be helpful for reducing swelling um, sort of in that immediate um, time. But once you sort of stand up and get moving again, the effects sort of just disappear within five minutes. Um, and so, you know, when it comes to elevation, if you're um, sore, at the end of the day, uh, and you, you you sit down and elevate your leg, then absolutely that's fine. If you're getting that sort of ten minutes or so of sitting with the leg elevated, that's giving you a bit of relief, then um, cool. <laughs> but I guess we just can't expect it to have any long-term carryover. It's yeah. more just for that short-term management. And I think in the the first one to three days of uh, musculoskeletal or soft tissue injury. Absolutely, you can mm. elevate. Yes, mm. you will see some reduction in swelling. And I suppose it, it can be in that period that there might be uh, more swelling. Uh, we'll talk about that a bit more in a second. And elevating it is a very uh, low-risk way of trying to yeah. reduce that. Mm. So, A, avoid anti-inflammatories. <laughs> and I think this is really interesting because quite often uh, when people will have some sort of an injury, um, in particular when it comes to sport or mm. any sort of an injury, straight away they're thinking anti-inflammatories. Yeah. And what anti-inflammatories are doing is that they are affecting the inflammatory process, mm. which is actually how our body repairs yeah. and remodels tissue. So mm. it's a really vital part of our tissue recovering. Mm. Um, the various phases of inflammation uh, will then be affected. And I think that it could then look at delaying onset of the process needed for new tissue to be mm. laid down um, and to be remodeled. So avoiding anti-inflammatories. What about, is that just in the short term or in general? No, it's so just it's in just the short term. Yeah, yeah I think anti-inflammatories, um, we might actually do a, like a podcast on this some other mm -hmm. time on just mm -hmm. certain medication mm -hmm. um, that are really commonly used and the value of it. Mm -hmm. But in the short term, yes, mm -hmm. just to avoid the anti-inflammatories. And I think that also links in um, a little bit with ice. Mm -hmm. um, yes. So anti-inflammatories, not ideal in the first one to three days because mm -hmm. they're going to affect how our body is naturally going to start to heal mm -hmm. itself. Mm -hmm. uh, and then looking at ice, ice or cryotherapy, uh, is something that is almost considered to be a gold standard treatment. Yeah. Widely used by the public, widely mm. used by clinicians. However, after reading a few different papers now, quite a few mm. papers, there isn't 
great evidence to suggest that ice is going to have uh, any functional outcomes. Yeah, yeah, I think when it comes to ice, um, there are quite a few studies that will show that ice can be helpful for relieving pain in the short term, so particularly following um, orthopedic joint replacements or minor knee surgery. Um, there is some evidence to suggest that, that icing that um, following that will help to reduce pain levels, but that's kind of where it stops. Like there's no actual improvement in swelling or range of motion or function um, from icing. Yeah. yeah, and I think that this is just thinking of the initial phase yeah. that ice isn't going to, it isn't going to really promote healing and no, it isn't going no. to change range exactly as you said. Mm. I find that ice can be really useful as an analgesic mm. for clients that might have persistent pain yeah. or perhaps like post-ACL mm. um, or if we're looking at those big joint replacement surgeries because as they get moving on it that there can be swelling mm. and that clients find anecdotally that actually using the ice can help reduce their pain, and mm. it means they can do a little bit more. Yeah. Um, and I think even cryo cuffs are widely used as well when yeah. it comes to ACL repairs. We're not going into that right now, mm. <laughs> but just for those soft tissue injuries in the acute phase, the one to three days, mm. really ice, there isn't evidence to support its use, um, which I think is just valuable to know because it's something mm. that we all will go to. Yes. Um, and yeah. I definitely have a few ice packs yeah. <laughs> in my freezer. Mm. And I think just once again, interrogating why are we doing something yeah. when actually uh, we might be better off um, doing something else. Like, mm. for example, so compression, going back to our piece, mm. uh, and actually compression is really, really useful in the first one to three days. Mm. Uh, and that's going to help us reduce fluid, uh, build mm. up of fluid um, into an area. And that can be administered via like a compression bandage mm. or it can be maybe like a tubey grip or mm. kinesio tape that somebody can, can tape it in such a way that it's going to reduce uh, the buildup of fluid. Mm. And I suppose you can also get what's called intermittent pneumatic compression. Um, so this is kind of like a, a form of compression uh, that's provided through a cuff and that cuff will um, inflate for 30 seconds and then deflate for 30 seconds. Well, sorry, it'll inflate or deflate for whatever time it's set for, but in, in the instance of the um, research that I've been looking at, uh, the cuff, the uh, Intermittent pneumatic compression um, was applied with an inflation of 30 seconds, then deflation of 30 seconds once a day um, for five days. Um, and that, that inflation and deflation is repetitive. <laughs> uh, and so that was applied with it also just using an elastic bandage um, and then compared to just using the elastic bandage rather than um, the uh, intermittent compression as well. Um, and the intermittent pneumatic compression was shown um, to have better improvements in swelling and range of motion and ankle function at one week's and four weeks um, mm. post-treatment compared to just using the elastic bandage alone. Um, but I guess the thing to consider there is how feasible is it for the general population? Uh, and so not everyone's going to have one of the you know, access to this kind of thing. And when we think about the what's actually happening with that intermittent compression, we can kind of get our muscles to do the same thing. Like when we contract our muscles um, and relax our muscles, that is creating pressure and reducing pressure and creating pressure and reducing pressure. So I think, you know, that kind of just... Um, amplifies the importance of early mobilization and getting those muscles contracting and relaxing. 
Yeah. Mm. Probably a lot cheaper as well than buying exactly, a yeah. <laughs> magic yeah. compression. Uh, but yeah, very interesting. Um, and I suppose that also looks at the role of isometric exercises uh, mm, yes. in the acute phase. Mm. And I'll come back to that in a second. Mm. Um, so um, E in the piece, so if we're looking at education, and there is a lot of research out there that is that would advise that setting expectation initially is really important as a part of therapy. Mm. As soon as a patient has set an expectation that they will recover, it actually starts to take, um, it actually starts to have an impact on how they are actually feeling and how they're processing this injury. And sometimes it can have an opioid effect, mm. even just by visualizing themselves as getting better and, mm. and, and seeing that, that then their body, you know, they maybe start to, can it start to experience pain a little bit less. Mm. So there is that part of education. Mm. Uh, and I think really key in education is talking about recovery time and having realistic recovery times and mm. realistic goals so that um, a, a client or a patient can be, I suppose, a part, mm. they can feel empowered and they feel in control of their rehabilitation as they understand the different, uh, the different steps they need to take mm. along the way. And that also goes into like that education piece like if we think of some of the passive treatments that can that sometimes can be used, like acupuncture, um, electrotherapeutic modalities or mobilizations, mm. really they don't have a place in that one to three days. Yeah, no. Because in that one to three days, you want to promote where the where mm -hmm. the rehab plan is going to go, yeah. how you're going to get there, and um, trying not to focus too much on passive treatments. Mm. And letting the body do its own thing too. Like Our, our bodies are incredible, <laughs> um, and they are designed to be able to heal themselves and cope with this sort of thing. And so when you're getting in there at those really early stages with those kind of things, it's sort of unnecessary messing. <laughs> yeah, and in some ways, I... The more I've been reading about this, the more I feel like, have we been overcomplicating things for a yeah, long time? Yeah, yeah, doing all the things absolutely. that naturally we, we, by the sense of it, we shouldn't be doing. Like, you know, you get an injury and somebody would rest. And you and I were talking about this earlier. Mm. Uh, going back for a long time, rest was considered the mainstay of treatment for pretty much everything. Yeah. You know, if, mm. there, if you had an injury, if you had an illness. And then in World War II, they were running out of beds. Mm. So, so many people were getting injured that they started, it was actually World War One. so many people were getting injured, they were running out of beds. So the guys who were injured first, they had mm. to say to them, right, come on, you mm. have to get up, get active because somebody needs your bed. And what they found is that these guys who were moving around got better remarkably quicker mm. than those who were being um, hospitalized mm. and were resting. And then this prompted further investigation into the effects of rest on our body. And NASA then, around the same time, a couple of years later, started doing some research into the effects of immobilization because they were looking at what was going to happen to the astronauts' bodies when they went into space. Mm -hmm. Because there's less gravity, so therefore our muscles are working less hard. And they even found that within eight hours there was an effect on like our blood flow in our body just from not moving. Mm -hmm. uh, and then also muscle can start to atrophy. In some cases within 72 hours there was a study in a nursing journal showing that the quads can start to atrophy within mm -hmm. 72 hours um, if they're not used. So I just think it's so interesting, yeah. like this idea that for so long we were promoting rest, yeah. other things we were promoting like anti-inflammatories yeah. and, um, you know, avoid exercise mm. when actually if it's we just... the most important thing. <laughs> if, if we let our body do its thing, yes, yeah. uh, then our body is going to straight away know what to do. Yes, yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Um, the, the British um, Journalist Sports and Exercise Medicine, their second acronym was LOVE. And this is to do with once we're past that acute phase, so we're, once we're out of the, the first um, few days, to first few mm-hmm. days uh, that we then look at load. And what load means is that now that some mm-hmm. of the healing has occurred, mm-hmm. let's start mm-hmm. to put some, um, uh, I suppose, do some movement and exercise, basically. Like, And, I mean, obviously we have kind of talked about the movement and exercise is um, definitely important in that first phase too, but in phase two we're talking about starting to load it more and starting to try and um, kind of get back into more of those day-to-day activities um, that you might have previously been doing and uh, really starting to, to strengthen the muscles as opposed to maybe more just sort of stretching them or moving them through the range of movement so um, that phase two of load is just more load <laughs> yeah and I think loading itself is going to promote tissue healing mm, yes um, and also it's going to help the remodeling and building mm. tissue and the repair phase mm. and loading just means mechanical stress yeah, yeah. so yeah. like walking around in it mm. returning to activity mm. not returning to sport probably just at that yeah. stage <laughs> uh, but definitely returning to normal activity mm. and then starting to do some strength exercises and so mm. when we think of load putting a load through a tissue is like putting resistance through a tissue which mm. is essentially looking at that strength-based exercise mm. moving on to oh this is my favorite out of all mm. of them so <laughs> optimism the power of our brain and there has been significant research to show that uh, a patient's approach to their recovery is key in their recovery Mm. and how they view their rehabilitation and going back to that expectation again if they view it as a positive experience um, uh, they're going to more than likely Mm -hmm. have a positive outcome Mm -hmm. Uh, and even so much so in an ankle injury um, they are now there was a paper to support that actually the patient's approach uh, is more significant than the degree of pathophysiology mm. of the injury mm. in long-term outcome. Yeah, and I think that's a really important consideration for us as therapists too, isn't it? Because um, a big part of our role then is to to reassure people that actually, you know, this is okay, that, that um, is... Um, you know that things are going to get better. I think that when clients have a pessimistic out approach, mm. um, it also is going to uh, mean that there is a higher risk of having a poor outcome. Yeah. Yes. And also, um, there is then um, that evidence to, to, I suppose, going back to that expectation. Um, and I think expectation and optimism tie in together because if you're setting expectations about how a treatment plan is going to go, and if a client is optimistic about it they are then going to focus on their own engagement in it mm. and you can step away from some of those maybe more passive outco- mm. or passive treatments. Uh, because there is then evidence to show that passive treatments, um, over-reliance on passive treatments in the early phases, which increases the likelihood of over-treating. So increasing the um, chances of somebody having surgery or needing injections from an earlier mm. date. So mm. I, meant to, I meant to chat about that a second ago. But yeah, so that, just thinking of optimism, so how you feel about something um, is key um, uh, in also your recovery from mm. the phase two on. Mm. Going on to our V now, so our vascularization. Uh, and that just essentially is talking about cardiovascular fitness. And 
our cardiovascular fitness is key and you know whether that's getting back to your running whether that's mm -hmm. getting back to your walking I mean obviously you're not going to go back to, to running probably three days after an injury mm -hmm. um, but that you are going to get out moving and I think yeah. it always will give you a mood boost mm -hmm. moving totally. um, it's yeah. good for your that's heart so it ties back in with the optimism you know if you're um, exercising and, and getting that sort of general endorphin release and things it's going to help um, with the, the optimism as well. Mm. Yeah, then I think it does definitely tie in quite nicely. Mm. Uh, but also your, your cardiovascular activity is going to increase blood flow everywhere. Mm. And we know it's, it's that, you know, it's those blood cells that are going to help our body to heal yeah. um, as but, well. Yeah, and, and also that's going to help with swelling, isn't it? Uh, improved uh, blood flow because it's helping that return of, um, of fluid. Yeah. yeah, and it also helps uh, with reducing pain medication. Mm. I think mm. when you're moving, your brain is probably focused somewhere else. It mm. means then that you might need as much pain relief because actually your mm. body's natural, going back to that endorphin hit, that your body is starting to produce some of its own mm. uh, natural pain relievers so then you can reduce what you may be taking um, in tablet form. And uh, then the E in love is coming to exercise. And um, there is so much strong evidence for exercise as a part mm. of a rehabilitation program. And it reduces the prevalence of recurring injuries. It restores mobility, strength, proprioception. In the first one to three days, yes, we say, you know, let pain guide you and let pain be a signal to reduce what you're doing. And even in the initial, when we come, at, come into that subacute phase, pain will still be a little bit of a mm -hmm. guider. Uh, so if you're experiencing high levels of pain, then you let that guide yeah. your exercise, what you're able to do and how yeah. you can participate. But don't be completely afraid of it. Don't avoid um, doing anything that causes you the slightest amount of pain. You know, like anything, it's kind of, uh, well, like most things, it's, it's good to kind of nudge the discomfort but not push through large amounts of pain mm. yeah and we, we've done a we've done a podcast on this and i think you know sometimes pain is just your brain's way of trying to tell your body to modify your behavior yeah and, and naturally it will be a bit overprotective following an injury and so pain will generally um come on long before any sort of tissue damage is likely to occur yeah, and I think if that is in that case when our nervous system is a little bit sensitive and um, that we can be experiencing pain a little bit quicker. Mm. Um, still, if you're four days post ankle sprain uh, and you have a lot of pain walking, <laughs> you know, don't ignore those signals. Yes, exactly. Yeah, we're not, we're not talking about ignoring balance. those signals. Yeah, a bit of balance. But you know, if you're doing your exercises and you're like, oh, this is like a two out of three or two. Yeah. Out, two or three out of ten well then that, that's okay yeah um but it's those higher levels of pain that we think mm. we're going to let mm. that guide us mm. and we're going to listen to our body mm. and i think overall if we're looking at the guide or the guidelines of price in managing subacute injuries or man managing acute injuries mm. some of it really there isn't the evidence to back it up entirely mm. um we definitely want to keep our our protect um rest now we can throw that out the window mm. um ice look there isn't the evidence for it so sorry ice you're not going to make it either <laughs> c for compression it does seem to it does seem to be useful in reducing swelling mm. um and e for elevate well in the whole idea of do no harm it doesn't seem to do any harm it might give some short-term mm. um swelling mm. however i think taking that whole peace and love uh does seem to be more valuable when it comes to managing an injury with a long-term outcome in mind so rather than just focusing on what can we do today what can we do tomorrow figure out how can we manage this so down the track this is going to get back to normal mm. you're going to be back to normal you're going to be able to re-engage in those mm. exercises or whatever activity might have caused it mm.
gonna wrap it up there so peace out guys <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sending you our love uh, thanks so much and um, uh, always um, feel free to let us know if you have any questions thanks, thanks. see ya